straight out of Finland, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from the University of Helsinki. Over Christmas break, my parents asked if I could preach at their church in Indiana. So what I have for you today is a sermon that I preached the day after Christmas. I asked several important questions about why God created anything at all, and what does it take to become friends with God. I also offer reflections on Ephesians 1 and John 15. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. If you would like to support the show, you can donate money to my Patreon account or my Ko-fi account. Any donation amount helps me in so many different ways. I greatly appreciate all the support that people have already offered. Well, ready or not, here I am asking the question, why are you here? Enjoy. my pleasure to introduce Ryan Mullins as our guest preacher today. Uh, I feel like Billy and Nancy have pretty much already introduced him uh, fully, but he's going to be speaking from Ephesians 1 today and why we are here. So please welcome him uh, and give him your full attention. Is this on? Yes. Okay. There we go. All right. I have come all the way from Finland to be here. So... I've been in Finland for about a year and a half now, and I've learned one of the most important Finnish phrases. So if you ever find yourself in Finland, this is the word, this is the phrase to know. Pohutko englantia. Do you speak English? <laughs> Beyond that, I can only say hello, which is also goodbye, so that's handy. And then thank you, and then some other words that we won't repeat here in church. So I've come all the way from Finland, and you might be thinking to yourself, why, why are you here? Why'd you come from Finland? Well, it's because my parents asked me to speak today, so that's why I'm here. It's a very simple answer. But this question, why are you here? This is a question that I get asked often in my life. And the meaning of this question, it changes a lot depending on the context. Because I've had to move to a lot of different states, and I've had to move to a lot of different countries for school and work. I've been in different parts of the U.S. I've been in England, I've been in Scotland, and then now Finland. And so I often find myself standing at customs in an airport uh, with some border patrol officer staring down at me, asking, why are you here? And I've also had to learn how do you speak English uh, in lots of different languages. Anything beyond that, you know, everybody speaks English, so it's fine. But I get this question a lot, why are you here? In these cases, when I'm at like, customs and the border patrol officers asking me this, I can usually say, oh, I'm here for work, or I'm here to visit friends, or I'm here to speak to some group of people. I've been in job interviews where people look at my resume, and then they have this sort of bewildered look on their face and ask, why are you here? Often I wish I could just say, I'm here to get a job and you know, pay bills. Like, what a dumb question, you know. To date, I think I've only said that once during a very frustrating job interview where I knew I was not going to get this. And I was like, this is, stop asking dumb questions. Usually I bite my tongue and keep that to myself. Now, sometimes this question, it comes from a very excited friend who's not expecting me to, to be in the country. They're not expecting to see me. And so they're like, oh, why are you here? Sometimes uh, this question, it comes from an elitist academic who does not like the fact that I'm speaking at a conference with them. They give me this sort of, oh, why are you here? I've had that on a few occasions. 
Other times, when I'm visiting a new church, someone will greet me with a very cheerful yet inquisitive, ah, why are you here? Because they want to know my story. They want to know where I come from and why I'm trying out their particular church. Then, of course, there's the really big philosophical question, why are you here? Why are any of us here? And this is usually a question about the meaning of life and what your purpose is. And today, what I want to do is I want to give you a partial answer to this question. I say partial because it's not going to be the full story. I can only give you one piece of the puzzle about why any of us is here. I mean, I could keep things very short and say, the reason you're here is because God wanted you to be here. Amen, sermon over. What's for lunch? That's short and sweet. Um, But that is, you know, it's a partial answer to our question, but you're probably going to be unsatisfied because it's leaving out a lot of details, especially the details about what's for lunch. Now, it's going to lack a lot of details because inquiring minds want to know more. They want to know more. So what I'm going to do is going to try to aim to give you a partial answer that has a few more details. And I'm going to answer our big question today by giving answers to a series of related questions. We'll call them mini-questions or little questions. And each answer to our mini-questions is going to bring us one step closer to answering our big question, why are you here? And this will give us mini-lessons, which will make up a big life lesson for us today. So, let's begin. So here's my first mini-question. Why are you here today at church? And I'm guessing that your answers are going to differ depending on, you know, your reasons for why you're here. Someone might be thinking, I'm here because my mom made me come. I've had to answer that at various points in my life. I'm like, I guess she made me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Others, you might be thinking, well, I'm here because this is my spiritual community. You I mean, you know these people around you, and you want to partner together with them to live a Christ-like life together. And perhaps you might say, well, you're here because you want to know God well. So let's focus on that answer for a moment. You are here because you want to know God well. And that's, that's good. That's great. But that leads to another mini question. How do you know a person well? You know someone well if you learn their character traits and their emotional profile. You kind of learn what makes that person tick. You learn what they believe, and you come to see how they see the world through their own eyes. You kind of come to see this is how they view things from their perspective. You come to understand what this person cares about and what they're concerned with. Here's what it means to care about something. When you care about something, you deem that object to be worthy of your attention and worthy of your action. Think about it for a second. If you don't care about something, you're not going to pay attention to it. And if you don't care about something, you're not going to act on behalf of it. So when you learn what a person cares about, that's going to tell you a great deal about that person. This is because you come to see that other person as a rational agent. You learn her reasons for why she thinks, feels, and acts in the ways that she does. Because all of you have various beliefs. All of you have different emotions that you feel at various points. And all all of you act in various ways. There are reasons for why you think and feel and act in the ways that you do. And if I come to understand your reasons for why you think and feel and act in the ways that you do, I come to get a better understanding of who you are as a person. 
So this brings us to our first mini lesson for the day. If you want to know God well, you need to know what God is like. You need to know God's character. You also need to know what God cares about. And you need to know the reasons or the purposes for why God thinks, feels, and acts in the ways that he does. Now, as Christians, we don't just want to know God well. We also want to have a close personal relationship with God. Because knowing someone well and having a close relationship with them, those things don't always go together. They can come apart. Let me give you an example of this. So imagine an FBI agent. She might be tracking a criminal suspect. And the FBI agent can certainly say that she knows her criminal suspect very well. She understands why this person's thinking the way they do. She understands the, the criminal's motives. She understands the criminal's perspective on the world. But that definitely does not mean that she is going to be in a close personal relationship with a criminal. I mean, if anything, these two people are not going to be described as having a close personal relationship. So here is my next mini question. How do you have a close relationship with another person? Because it's not simply knowing them well. Well, close relationships, they take time. We all know this. They take time. And over time, you come to know this other person well in the ways that we've just described. And as you come to know what this other person cares about, you, you come to also share in some of those same cares and concerns that this other person has. You figure out what that other person's goals are and what their projects are. And you find ways to support those goals as best as you can. These are things that we often do. So parents, if you have children, you're always trying to help them figure out what do you, what do you want out of life? What, do you, what are your hopes and dreams? What are your aspirations? And then what do you do as a parent? You try to figure out how do you help your child achieve those goals? What you're doing is you're coming to understand your child's cares and concerns, and you're figuring out how do I help you achieve those goals? Friends, we do the same thing. We often share common interests. We find ways to support each other's projects. We care about each other, and we come to share in each other's cares and concerns. We share in each other's projects. These are what things that friends do. So here is the next mini lesson. If you want a close relationship with God, you need to share in God's cares and concerns and support God's projects and goals. You need to figure out how you can best support God's projects and goals. Of course, you're not going to get very far if you don't know what God's goal is or what God cares about. If you don't really know what God cares about, you're not going to get that close to God. So here is our next set of mini questions. What does God care about? What are God's goals? Why did God create the universe? And I know that there's an irony in calling this a mini question because these seem like deep philosophical questions, and that's because they are, in fact, deep philosophical questions. But don't worry, because just because they're deep philosophical questions does not mean that they have to be scary. Sometimes these questions are scary. I know that from personal experience, but, but sometimes these questions can be fun. So here's a fun mini-question. This is one that I've been looking at for the last several years in, in some of the books I've been writing. What was God doing before he created the universe? This is a question that Christians have asked for a very long time. What was God doing? So back before the universe existed, there's God just hanging out by himself. What was he doing? What was he doing? In the fifth century, there's this theologian named St. Augustine, and he asked this question. What was God doing before he created the universe? 
And Augustine says, God was creating hell for people who asked those kind of questions. It was a common joke in his day. So he knows he's telling a joke. And he says, this is a joke. We don't have to take it very seriously. But it's a good joke. It's a good one. Now, all jokes aside, I really like the way the apostle Paul answers this question. What was God doing before he created the universe? There's a very real sense in which God is plotting to take over the world. That's what he's up to. If you don't believe me, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. So in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, here's what Paul has to say about this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. I just want to highlight a few things for you today. So here's the things I want to highlight. We get some answers to our many questions in this passage. So first, we have a clear answer to our many question, what was God doing before he created the universe? Well, God was devising a plan to make us his children. That's what God was doing before he created the universe. Second, why? did God create the universe? What was God's goal? I don't know all of the reasons why God created the universe. If God's like you and I, to some extent, you have lots of reasons for the things you do, and I'm assuming God has lots of reasons for why he created the universe. But one reason is so that humans would exist and be his children. That is one of God's reasons for creating the universe. That is one of his goals or one of his purposes for creating. God has a goal or a destiny for us in mind when he created the universe. Third, what does God care about? Well, God cares about uniting us to himself, and he wants you to know that. So notice that Paul tells us that Christ made known to us the mystery of God's will. So God has a purpose, he has a will, he has something he wants to achieve, he has this project that he wants to accomplish, And God wants us to know what that project is. So let's take a deeper look at this theme. So turn to John 15. So if you're looking at your Bibles, turn to John 15. There's something very important about the fact that God has made known to us his plan. And while you're turning to John 15, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in John 17, because it's got some similar themes to what we're looking at. 
So in John 17, Jesus talks about the glory and the love that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. So what was God doing before he created the universe? Well, according to Jesus, there's this mutual love and glory among the divine persons of the Trinity. And in John 17, Jesus tells us that he was sent so that all of us could have that same love, glory, and joy as well. And once again, Jesus makes a really big deal about how he has made known the Father's plan to us. So what's, what's going on here? Why is it such a big deal that God has made his plan known to us? Okay, so John 15, or if you're looking at John 15. So I'm going to be reading uh, John 15, verses 1 through 17. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, and they're thrown into the fire and burned. Now, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Okay, so once again, we have a lot of things going on in this passage, but I just want to highlight a few things for us today. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus makes the Father's plan known to us? Well, it's the difference between being a servant and being a friend. So Jesus uh, gives this example of a master. And so a master, a master does not tell the servants what his projects are. A master does not give the reasons for why he's doing various things. He just commands and the servant is expected to obey. And in that case, if you're wondering, you know, a master and a servant, they're not going to be in a close personal relationship. Do this, do that. Why? Because I said so. You're not going to be very close in that, in that sort of situation. And you see, God wants more from you than that. God does not want us to be merely servants who blindly do what he commands. God wants us to be his friends. That is why God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself to us, to let us know what his goals are and what he cares about. God wants us to know him well and to be in a close personal relationship with him. 
So why did God create us? What is God's goal? God created us with the goal of offering genuine friendship. God wants us to be his disciples, of course, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is genuine friendship with God. Here's the final mini question I want us to ask today. How do you become the kind of people that God can call a friend? We have part of our answer already. God calls us to love himself, to love others, and to bear fruit. And loving God and loving others, that's something we talk about a lot at church. I'm assuming, I've not been to this church, so I don't know. I'm assuming you guys talk about, okay, you do talk about love, good, okay. You never know, sometimes you walk in these places and you're like, hey, oh, you don't love people here. Well, actually, they never admit that, you just notice it. So I think, I'm assuming you guys don't understand the love, but what's this whole bearing fruit stuff? What is that? So the answer comes in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but I expect certain things from my friends. Not my acquaintances, because I've got a lot of acquaintances, but the people that I call my friends, the people that I actually let get close to me, that I want to be in a real close personal relationship. I expect them to have a particular kind of character, a character that I can trust. And God is the same. God expects us to become the kind of people that he can trust. He wants to entrust us with lots of things. He wants us to be people who are trustworthy, people who are good and faithful, people who are gentle and kind and self-controlled, people who patiently strive towards peace, and joyful people who love one another. So God wants us to become those kinds of people so that he can call us friends. That's God's goal, to enter into friendship with humanity. And if you want to know God well and have a close personal relationship with God, you need to figure out how to support his project of befriending humanity through the love of Christ. So with all of that in mind, I want to ask my opening question one more time. Why are you here? I have a friendly suggestion for how you can answer that question, but part of that depends on who you want to be friends with. Do you want to be friends with God? That's a question I cannot answer for you today. And that's a question that's going to require some soul searching. And that is one of those deep questions that can sometimes be very scary. But my friendly suggestion is that though this question may be scary, the answer can be far more glorious. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we stand in awe at the love and joy that you had before the foundation of the world. We are grateful that you have created us with the goal of sharing that love and joy. And we ask that you help us mature in Christ so that we can become the kind of people that you can call friends. In Jesus' name, amen. And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for episodes on divine love and biblical interpretation. 